Hello, hello, and welcome back to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today we've got a review of the new A24 film, Zola. Sophie Barnes joins me for that conversation, and we round out our Technicolor Marathon looking at The Red Shoes with Rance Collins back to help us break that one down. Stick around. Hey, last month I went dancing at this cute spot in Florida where my roommate's girl made like five G's a night. We just met yesterday and you already trying to take whole trips together? Be ready by two. Hi, bitch! You want to hear a story about how me and this bitch fell out? It's kind of long, but it's full of suspense. You want to go somewhere with me? That's my Shut it so bad. That was a bit of the trailer for Zola. It's the new film from A24, director Janixa Bravo, starring Taylor Page and Riley Keough. It's about a road trip gone bad, gone wrong, gets really wild and crazy, and it's very funny. It's very dark, uh, and the interesting thing about it is it's based on tweets based on a twitter thread that went viral several years ago we'll get into that a little more in the discussion with sophie barnes sophie was here before to talk about the assistant back in the best of 2020 series and came back again to talk zola today she's a filmmaker here in central arkansas so i'm so happy to have her back on the podcast again today here is my discussion with sophie barnes about zola welcome back to the podcast sophie barnes how are you today I'm good. How are you? I'm doing very well, and I'm so glad to have you back on. Uh, we talked about um, The Assistant last time, which I, I loved that discussion, and, and that was a great movie, so I'm glad to have you back again to talk about Zola. Yes, sir. My favorite movie of the year, probably. <laughs> nice. Okay, good. So, yeah, I, I watched it the other day and really liked it, and then I saw that you had posted about it, so I was like, I think we need to have Sophie back for this one. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm very into this movie. <laughs> yeah, I really like it as well. Um, so what is Zola? It's uh, it's the new movie from A24. Um, one of the unique things about it is it's based on a Twitter thread. I think it's probably the first movie I've ever seen. Maybe the only one that exists. I don't know. That's based it on is tweets. It is the only one. <laughs> That's a new, the only one. <laughs> newfangled thing. Um, so the kind of the story behind that is back in 2015, I believe, there was this long Twitter thread that Zola uh, tweeted. And I remember hearing about it. Like, I think I saw the first few and I was like, oh, this is really long. I'll read this later. And then I never did. Uh, and then this came, uh, they, they bought the rights to it and made this movie out of it. And I wondered how they would, like how much of that they would kind of explain in the movie. And it's it's right there, like as a uh, a title card at the beginning and says, you know, on um, whatever date in 2015, Zola tweeted 148 tweets uh, and tells this story. And um, some of the, there's a lot of voiceover from Zola's character. And some of the, uh, like most of it, I think is directly from the actual tweets. So this is, you know, ostensibly a true story. And basically the story is um, two women go on a road trip that, that goes bad. Uh, and one of the characters is a pimp. And um, that's kind of the, the very basic setup. I guess we can get into some of the details about it later. But um, what do you like so much about this movie, Sophie? Um, well, I remember the tweets. Like I remember yeah. when all of that happened. Um, and since I was like... Let's see, 2015, I was like going into senior year of high school. Mm. Um, and I think when it happened, 
yeah, it was in October. So it was October of my senior year. And I remember my friend like sent me the, the link and I was just like super into this like new idea <laughs> of like there being a, like an almost like a novel on Twitter. Like I thought that was so cool. And so yeah. I read all of them and I read them twice actually. Um, <laughs> and I've read them again since then. Um, and I actually read them last night again so I could nice. get like the, cause I watched, I watched it twice this week. Um, and then I decided to read the tweets again. And what I like so much about it is, and I guess what I like about both the tweets and the film is just like the newness of it like mm. it's very it's like kind of uncharted territory like you said it's like a newfangled thing to have <laughs> um to have tweets be like the basis of whatever but it's also like i don't know it's just like um like it's it's a it's a new kind of like absurdism mm, and yeah. Um, and like, it has to do with the digital world, which I'm like, you know, I have like my crazy little Instagram that I like (laughs) post whatever I want on. And, and I kind of like, am like sort of exploring my like freedom on the internet a little bit. And this is something that Zola was 100% doing with this thread Mm. and, and with this film, they're also sort of testing the boundaries in a lot of ways. Um, Mm -hmm. so I really, I just really love, and then I love Junix Bravo's style like I love her, um, her really like, just like dark, dark, dark comedy, her, um, her very specific visual style. She's like Wes Anderson, but like, um, a little more like Americanized Mm, maybe. Um, cause Wes Anderson sort of deals with like, um, like opulence and like, um, like European, uh, styles European styles yeah. and stuff like that. I guess I'm thinking more of just like Grand Budapest, but yeah. um, I feel like Janixa Bravo has this like um, symmetrical sort of, but it's like without being too clean. So it's like, um, so it still sort of has like a, it's like Some dirty gritty, symmetry. Yeah, sort of. yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very cool. It's very cool. And I love the filter on the film too. Yeah. Um, That's an interesting thing about it. It's, yeah. It's very, uh, it's kind of makes it look, it makes it look more humid, more Floridian. Mm, yeah. I guess. Yeah. It's like a little hazy or something. Yeah. 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 yeah that's cool. I mean, are you a fan of Miranda July? Just out of oh, curiosity. Yeah. Okay. I oh, thought so. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> your your, your yeah. Instagram kind of reminds me of her Instagram a little bit. That, so, I yeah. would, I would say that that her Instagram is an influence on my Instagram <laughs> for sure. <laughs> Very much like the digital uh, kind of meeting of digital and filmmaking. I think that's a cool thing. Um, yes. Yeah. This is my first thing I've seen of Janice Bravo's films. I wanted to watch Lemon. Um, yeah a while i've heard it's really good so yeah this is you know now i'm gonna watch that soon because i i really really like this um but yeah it is it's interesting it is it's pretty gritty like in the storytelling too like it's almost i, I want to compare it to like jackie brown or something but mm-hmm. it's um ostensibly true so there's like that that layer to it uh but then it's just so funny too and like has this this kind of wild sense of humor it's uh you know you hear movies described as a wild ride i think other movies wish they could be this wild of a ride like it's really really all over the place and fun and, yeah. and unexpected um but yeah on the on the digital side there's there's so many interesting like so there's the voiceover that's like reading the tweets some of those are really funny and mm-hmm. um then there's also 
there's like random like phone noises like it sounds like a uh, a message being sent or a tweet being sent at certain moments when I, it's like is someone using their phone in the film or is this somehow like signaling like this is a, a tweeted moment and it's it kind of plays with that in a way that i, I kind of want to revisit and and look back into it but yeah there's there's really like a, a lot of digital stuff all, all over this film i think um actually the the a lot of the tweet like the tweety like sounds uh-huh. are um are literally when she verbatim says something from mm. the thread that makes um, sense because i went back i went back and like kind of tracked it a little bit mm-hmm. and yeah it was a lot of like just using that to like signify this is an actual thing that was said i thought um, about reading the thread before watching i was like you know i think i'll watch the movie first and then go back and read it and so i did and it's a really faithful like it's almost verbatim like obviously a lot of it is word for word but then the story yeah. there's very few changes there's like a few character name changes and then you get a little more context at the end of the twitter thread about like what happened later and there's like a few small things that are different but but yeah it's really interesting like to to use that as the the basis for a film script uh, but yeah i think it really works and i think it's a kind of an interesting experiment but i don't know saying experimental makes you think like oh this maybe isn't that good but we'll forgive it for being experimental but no it really is that good too like i don't want to downplay how good it is by saying that it's uh, kind of doing some risky things but yeah yeah um i um i'm really into i i I wouldn't call it like experimental necessarily i mean i think more so it's just like delving into surrealism Mm -hmm. and so there's moments that seem like an experiment but it's like sort of like classic surrealist like sort of like the dry like i don't know there's just moments throughout that i was like that is 100 percent just janixa bravo's sense of humor like she just thinks Mm -hmm. that's hilarious that something like that and i don't know like there were moments where i was like hmm do i like that and then i was like actually i do because it's like all blending in with the same like it's Mm -hmm. the same thing like it's consistent throughout the whole film like it's not um it's not trying to be you know what i like about this movie it's not trying to be the like um the like blockbuster that like james franco would have tried to make this movie into you <laughs> yeah, know and james franco point. was yeah. originally going to make this movie i didn't know um, that. Wow. and he, it just he wasn't like he wasn't the right choice whatsoever yeah. when you especially when you look at what the final the final product of this film is mm-hmm. Janixa bravo is the perfect director for this because she is so stupid at <laughs> at times like she has the stupidest humor and i love it so much like her instagram makes me laugh so hard she has so many like little bits and she's just like almost like she has like a comedy instagram she's just like has the stupidest humor but also she's dealing with like a really traumatic and tragic situation mm-hmm. of just like losing trust with somebody that you thought you like mm-hmm. were friends with and and just she she has the perfect sort of like combination of like just like grace and style and everything and it's just not trying to be this like blockbuster you know it's like it's just a little movie you know Mm -hmm. it's it when you when you watch it it really is a little movie like it's very quick it goes by very quickly it's an hour and 30 minutes and it's like it's it's just bite-sized sort of you know Mm -hmm. like i i wanted more i wanted a lot more um especially of all the little like 
I don't know, like the mirror sequences and um, the little like brain worm that she like, like that um, she starts like going into her head. Like, cause she's like fully just having an out of body experience because of what's going on around her. Yeah. And she just sees like a little like star worm like thing in her head. (laughs) I love that. I love that type (laughs) of thing. That's like totally something I would do in a movie. And it's, I think this movie, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you had something else planned for this direction of this conversation. I'm just thinking about how much I love the, um, the way that Zola is presented, like the way Taylor Page plays mm-hmm. this character is wonderful. Like it's like I, I think I, I read several reviews that were like her eyes are just like her eyes are like the most actorly eyes ever. <laughs> like the, she just knows how to use them and she knows how to like signal things with her eyes and um and it's just like she's she's just like perfect for this role and then Mm -hmm. i also think riley keogh is really great um and it's like it's just the it's like it's like a stupid movie in a way (laughs) and i love that like but it's not stupid at all because it's so important to like be talking about like how like people of color handle situations where white people are fucking insane. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just, <laughs> yeah. I just cursed. <laughs> but totally I'm, fine. Yeah. But, um, but like, it's, it's really important to talk about that. Cause then that, that sort of like, um, it's sort of, it should be the like focus. It is the focus of this story of like mm-hmm. Zola went on Twitter and like, therapeutically like tweeted out and got like she went viral and made and it made the it made the story less like scary it made it Mm. more like funny and relatable even if it's not remotely relatable because because of the way that she presented it Mm -hmm. um and she didn't present she didn't try to be anybody but herself you know yeah um you know being being a um a woman of color who is also like a writer and she's funny and all this stuff. She's just being herself with this, with this thread. And, um, and in the film, I think Taylor page does a really good job. Yeah. Kind of um, showcasing that. yeah and kind of, yeah. I think you're right. And it's so what you're saying about like the humor and like the kind of the intersection of trauma and humor, maybe is it, is it, unique thing because uh, some of the, the funniest moments in this are also some of the darkest moments like it really finds humor in those things and, and yeah i think you're right like it kind of makes it less scary um there are some moments that are dark and are not funny in this movie too and i think it, it yeah. kind of knows when to um when to play that for laughs and when to not um but yeah i, I really think it's it's really strong I, uh yeah taylor page is fantastic in this like what you're saying about her eyes some of the like funniest moments from her she's using very little words and it's all in her her body language and like her tone and yeah. stuff i'm thinking about yeah. when she gets in the car with the boyfriend character and he's like trying to talk to her and she's just being really short with him like, that yeah. made me laugh so hard <laughs> yeah um, so that, that was a really great moment yeah. i know so many of those dudes too i knew so many of those like goofy dudes goofy white yeah. dudes who are so like they think they're hilarious and they think what they like watch online and see online, like their meme taste is hilarious, but they're really so stupid. <laughs> and I, and that's like, that's like all I deal with in Arkansas in a lot of ways, <laughs> but like a little bit less like 2015 and like, mm. like 
I guess it's like a different vibe, but like goofy ass white dudes, they're <laughs> they they need to be put to sh- they need to be put to shame. Goodbye. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about the performances. I'm trying to remember who plays uh, Derek. Is the boyfriend named Nicholas Braun? Nicholas Braun. He's yeah. very funny in this. Like, and I think all the performances are like really kind of low-key and like in a way that they're really just embodying these people i don't think this movie works half as well if we don't have excellent performances and we do like pretty much across the board i think yes Um, so like he's not the one i want to praise the most but he is really good but yeah taylor page is fantastic i think riley keogh is really really great um and her like riley keogh as stephanie like does a, a kind of a a big swing as far as the voice and the accent goes yeah and it's it's really funny and i think it works too um yeah she's great at have this. you have you seen the film american honey i have not but it's been on my list for a long time okay so riley keogh's in that movie and she does like a southern accent so it's not a black scent mm-hmm. um but it's like it's um it's still like sort of in that line and she like kind of seems like she's from florida and she wears like confederate flag like um like a confederate flag bikini in it it's i think i think maybe i don't remember um but yeah she's um she's not far off honestly from that role in this one it's just it's a little bit it's a little bit more intense but like seeing american honey it makes sense why she was cast in this film Mm. it's probably her role in american honey probably had a lot to do with why she was cast in this film actually because of the um because of the like just the nature of both characters they're both like like really mean like white girls but (laughs) one of them is just a little bit silly i mean a lot of bit sillier um yeah. and s- just, just stupider i love that <laughs> scene where i love that scene where they're talking in the car right outside of the first motel when they get there and she like puts her lipstick on she goes you know they filmed Ma- in miami vice here and her boyfriend's like yeah i don't remember that and he's like he goes oh those lips and she's like Oh, they're not too big. And he goes, I want to lick them. And she's like, chill. <laughs> I thought that was so funny. <laughs> yeah, there's so many good back and forths like that yeah. in this. Yeah. I think that also has to do with just Janixa Bravo and Jeremy O'Harris as a writing mm-hmm. team. And then Zola on top of it. Like, all three of these people have their own unique styles, their own unique storytelling styles. And Zola's like, the spearhead and then Jeremy O'Harris and Janixa Bravo are two different um, writers and like, but they all, they both deal with like really dark themes. Mm. They deal with um, sexuality and like um, surrealism and like understanding like modern like interpretations of things and like what's going on in modern society in terms of like, um, like, I mean, lemon deals with like a modern day, like white dude. And then one of Jeremy O'Harris's, um, acclaimed plays slave play deals with, um, deals with like classic, um, interracial, um, roles, or like not interracial, not classic, but um, interracial um, relationships, mm-hmm. um, but in like the context of like master slave like settings and stuff like that, um, and it's like very like on the nose and like, but it's also like it's a really really like 
sort of raw exploration of like interracial relationships and sexuality in the modern age and all this stuff. And so I think all of them together are helping to make like this film, like they're all hilarious, yeah. but they're all also like very refined, like voices, like black voices particularly. And so like the team work between the three is really like, it's cool to see. Yeah, so I'm not that familiar with with Jeremy Harris or Denise Bravo's writing prior to this, but it sounds like a perfect kind of trifecta bringing them in with Zola to to create this. So yeah, that's really cool. Um, as far as performances, the only other thing I wanted to mention is Coleman Domingo. Is mm-hmm. I, I I really really like him and and all the things I've seen him in, and he's really good. I haven't seen him be like menacing and scary before, and he is yeah. in this, like he's a monster in this. But yeah, he's it's a really good performance from him. I first saw him in um, If Beale Street Could Talk, and like at least that's yeah. when I first kind of took note of him. And he's like a really loving father figure in that, and he's so great. And then he's in um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom last year, and he's in a lot of stuff. But I really. Uh, really like him so what i didn't realize he was in this actually when he came i was like oh my gosh we got going with domingo in this so yes really great uh, the the kind of primary two taylor page and riley keogh are fantastic and then kind of rounded out with him and nicholas braun i think the the central four in this really are wonderfully performed i agree and i think um i think if i were to say anything that's like not just like insanely high praise about this film sure. it's sometimes uh like the second time I watched it, I was like, maybe I want this to be a little bit more, um, like in, a little bit more intense. Mm. Like I kind of wanted it to get, but also like in the tweets, you don't really get the sense that she was like, I mean, I think you get the sense that she feels like she could have died, mm. but I think it's more that it's just like really like shocking and like, yeah like traumatic for her to think that she's going on this trip to just go dancing and then to realize that there's all this stuff like to do with um Stephanie and her pimp and everything I think that it's like I think that it could have been more intense in the film Mm -hmm. but maybe that was just me and like I really I don't know like yeah I I think I see what you mean because it's uh, go ahead sorry Oh, no. I was just going to say X Red as, and maybe it's just Coleman Domingo also is like a very like heartwarming person yeah, to me. To like, him. yeah. He's a really, like, I love everything he's in in the sense that he's usually cast as like a, a good person or something. Mm-hmm. And so, like, it was hard for me to like see him as evil. And then at the end, he sort of like saves everyone. He's like kind of like saves the girls from the dude ish. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like it's a little like it's a little like iffy on whether I thought he was like really like the best villain, but he's an amazing actor and he is really scary in parts. Like he I just wasn't maybe I just read this Twitter thread so many times and I know the whole story. And like I saw it once and I saw it again and just kind of I think it's like I love this movie and I'm very passionate about it. And I'll go to my grave saying it's great. But I also I think maybe I'm like this. The story is so brief and it doesn't have quite as many twists and turns as maybe like 
you would expect out of like a crazy story, but it does have a lot. And it's like, it's really, um, it's really scary at times, but it's also kind of like ends and you're like, oh, okay, what's the end? Yeah. But it, it sort of ends abruptly. It's like somebody dies and then boom, we're gone. It's yeah. out. I mm-hmm. mean, I feel like it, like it, this is how it went in real life. So, I mean, you work with what you have. And then they also like, they sort of did like, take things and and change them a bit in the in the script just because of cinematic like just this just the quality of the moment wasn't quite as cinematic as it Mm -hmm. needed to be or something like that um i think though outside of all of that um coleman domingo is still a great like he's still great in the film um and then I also I thought Nicholas Braun was really funny, yeah. but he was so similar to a Succession character, kind oh, of. Oh, really? Interesting. I, I, I feel like he I feel like he's similar to a Succession character in that, which is fine. Like you, he, he, it's sort of like all of them have played maybe similar roles um, in like a very general way before, but this these roles are very specific, and I think it's like a all star cast, like you said. It's 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 a it's a really well cast film. I also thought the guy who the guy who Derek um like kind of like befriends at the Yeah, hotel. I thought yeah. he was hilarious. Yeah, he I thought was he was really funny. funny. He said y'all need to stop getting delusions of gander. (laughs) (laughs) That was so funny. That's Jason Mitchell. He plays Dion looking at the the casting. Yeah, he's very, very funny. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and I see what you mean about Coleman Domingo. It's because he is so likable. I think it like he's never like super menacing like that. Like, I don't know. I, I, I get like the characters are afraid of him when he like. He that talks about this in the tweets too, like his African accent comes out when he's really angry, um, and yeah. that happens in the film too. But yeah, I think he's so likable that it's like it is a little jarring when he kind of goes, um, gets mad and like goes for that menacing thing. That I see what you mean. Like maybe it doesn't totally, mm-hmm. um, totally mesh. But but I think it is an interesting juxtaposition because like even in his you know his job, he he needs to be likable for um, things to go, but also like be a little scary so i don't know i i I think i'm glad he's in it but i see what you mean about it Um, yeah do you have i guess we haven't really talked about that many specifics of the plot but but i guess basically they go on this road trip um to to dance to go to strip clubs and dance and make a lot of money in a few days and it turns out that coleman domingo's character um is planning to to prostitute them Mm -hmm. and then zola kind of refuses to do that but but then kind of takes on a pimp role herself in a way that she's like kind of forced to in a way that's really kind of interesting uh, and is yeah. successful at that. And then um, the dynamics of that kind of go all over the place. And then there are some surprises. Uh, do you have any like favorite moments from the film you wanted to mention? Actually, my favorite, I think my favorite part of the whole movie is when they go to the room. And then just from that point on, when, when X leaves, like the, like when she yells at Stephanie, when um, Zola yells at Stephanie and then the dude comes and there's that whole thing. And then um, Mika Levy's store or uh, a score is uh, insane at that, at that point, like it gets really, really good. Like the, I was listening to it last night. So the, the, the song called a mess is what plays mm-hmm. over the, um, um, 
plays over that like first scene with the the first uh, client who comes in. Yeah. Um and um god, I love Mika Levy. Like I'm <laughs> I'm a big fan of Mika Levy. I love the score for Jackie and Under the Skin. Um, oh, and then, the skin. Yes, yeah, that one's incredible yes, too. Yes, yes. Um, and then Mika Levy also did something else recently. I think I can't remember what it was. Um, but I'll try and pull that up real quick. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Anyway, um, no, but the I also liked how the score has a lot of the same like words and like um phrasing from the the thread mm-hmm. that may not have been in the film, like. Like when um, Zola says they start fucking, it was gross. Like (laughs) that's like, that's like what she says in that scene. But there's other ways that she describes that in the, in the thread, in the score, like sort of pays homage to those like Mm -hmm. phrasings, which is like a funny little thing. But I, my favorite moment is when it transitions to her. Like she, she, they, that happens when the first client comes and then she's like, pussies worth thousands. And then <laughs> yeah. like, and then she's just like, like setting her up and like taking pictures and all that stuff. I love the score at that moment. Mm-hmm. I just think it's really great. And I love when they're like the scrolling through. I thought, I thought all the little like sort of editing moves or like, um, I don't know, like little things to make you feel like you're in a digital, more, more mm-hmm. in a digital mm-hmm. environment or more like you're inside of a phone. I liked that. Um, so that was my favorite moment. I think other than that, I loved, um, I loved all the wide shots of them like going from place to place, like when they're running Mm -hmm. away at the end. Um, I loved that, like by the pool where there's the little person. Um, Uh and he says, I don't even know what he says, (laughs) but I just thought it was so weird. It's exactly, that's Janixa Bravo's humor. That's exactly, (laughs) that is her type of thing. Um, just to put some random, random thing in that that's just like stupid and funny it's a perfect little like, um, punctuation on that tense scene uh, like this funny little quip that he says i can't remember what it is either but yeah it's so funny it is funny yeah you know it's um i think it's it's a perfect like every time something gets a little intense it gets funny mm. which i think is the point of this movie like this this woman dealt with her pain and trauma uh, like through humor and this film doesn't linger on bad things and mm. that's you know that's why it can't be as intense as maybe i want it to be mm, because it's like it has to be like funny because it has to stay true to what zola was literally doing with the thread which was mm-hmm. to make make light of the situation in order to be you know make it like sort of have catharsis yeah, with it uh-huh. um yeah, I love, yeah. I love it. I love the score so much too. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I was going to talk about the score to too. Yeah. The, um, even like the opening, it's got like them in this kind of dreamlike mirror room, and they're doing their makeup, and there's like a lot of harp. You don't hear a lot of harp in scores like these days, but it's got this interesting harp kind of thing happening. And then, yeah, the score yeah. is just really a, a strong part of this. Um, yeah, I think as far as favorite moments for me, it's early on when they they are kind of first meeting i think it's maybe right before the opening credits but like they meet at this restaurant uh, in the in the tweets it says it's a hooters i believe and uh, where zola's working and then like 
um, Stephanie comes and, and there's the shot where they're like face to face. And that's, it's like the shot you're seeing around on the internet around this movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it, like they're in the restaurant and then the, the lights go out one by one and then it flashes in there like in a, in this hall of mirrors or whatever that, that space is. And it, mm-hmm. but they're, they're in the same place. And there's a, a lot of good little touches like that. And I think that was a, a cool way to like say, Oh, this is the kind of movie this is going to be. And got some, some visually interesting things happening. So I really like that. Um, one of the asides that's just so funny, uh, I'm not going to like quote it or anything. Cause I, I, I mean, for a variety of reasons I shouldn't, but there's a, a prayer scene that really, really made me laugh when they're just getting to the yes. club in, in Florida <laughs> and like the strippers are praying about the night and that made me laugh oh, so hard. Oh, goodness. Um, T.S. Madison was really funny and she was so, she was in it so briefly and I really yeah. wanted a little bit more of her, but she it was so funny that was like a perfect little like moment yeah just a brief little brief little moment on screen but it was so funny so that one's so great uh and then i I think one of my it's it's one of the voiceover tweets that are describing what's happening and it's it's at the end so i won't tell exactly what happens but something crazy happens and then zola's tweet says swear to god bible like this thing just like the <laughs> delivery of that is so funny to me so funny no and that's what she tweeted yeah and she exactly just, she was so funny i wish there were more of the moments in the tweets where she's like whoa like she's i mean like that just like that could have translated a little differently on screen i think maybe like um like just more like I don't know she was I feel like some of it was Zola was both disgusted and like uh, in a way amused like this is absolutely (laughs) insane what's happening to me right now this is not at all what I expected to Mm -hmm. to happen um and yeah I I I think that it could have been a little more like what the fuck? <laughs> but, but also, it still was like I don't know. Mm, yeah. I think they I think they chilled out on that in in lieu of like a like being disgusted or like mm-hmm. uh, just like uncomfortable with the situation, which is one hundred percent valid. And yeah. I also know that Zola was deeply uncomfortable in this situ in these yeah. situations. Yeah, that's one of those things that's like this is really dark, but it's also funny in the way it's being presented, but it's also true in a way. So it just, it's really complicated, I think, and kind of all those layers of it. But yeah, and that is a really funny one. Um, and then, oh, was I going to mention one other thing? I'm forgetting now. But yeah, lots of, lots of good surprising things in this movie. Um, so funny. Taylor Page is incredible. <laughs> Uh, I know. Do we need to say anything else about this movie before we wrap up? I wanted to say one more thing. I yeah. I I don't know if like okay, so I came in just like a couple minutes behind on the first um first time seeing it and so I came mm-hmm. in right when they were like talking um and she was saying you dance um like uh in mm-hmm. and, and then like what the men- basically the moment you mentioned is when I came in um and I like I kind of was like, is this like like queer undertones a I little had the bit? Same like, feeling. yeah. I truly like at the beginning, like it was sort of like they were like sort of they liked each other and they mm-hmm. were like they like were talking to each other and they were like vibing. And I loved the part where they sort of did the little subtitles where they said, that. "I yes. feel yeah. seen," mm-hmm. um, and I'm like, "I feel heard by you" or something like that. And I was like. 
I was like, this would be wonderful. Like, this could be a wonderful little, like, love story, but it's mm. not that. And that's, like, but I love the, like, sort of queer undertones at the beginning and at the end because um, Stephanie's, like, looking back at Zola lovingly in the car as they're driving away. And she goes, you know, I love you, bitch. And Zola just like looks away from her and it's sort of like a rejection. Yeah. Um, and I and I like that. I mean, it, it wasn't like too intense because that's not what the story's about. But it's like it was sort of like about like girls like falling in love with each other a little bit. And then like like the the betrayal that comes when one of them's not yeah. telling the full truth and everything, just like any relationship. I, um, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, that's kind of all I had. No, I was going to say the same thing. I, I wasn't sure if I should bring that up because I don't want to, if I'm reading that in, incorrectly, then it's weird mm-hmm. for me to say, but I <laughs> felt the same way. Like, I was like, are they attracted to each other a little bit? And like, I think that would make sense of like why they just met and, and Zola's like willing to go on this trip because it's, you know, we just met like yesterday or whatever and you want to go on a trip yeah. together. And she even expresses, yeah. you know, you want to you go on hoe trips already or whatever. And, <laughs> yeah. But if, if there's some attraction there, that kind of makes sense of it. And yeah, I think that adds a layer at the end too that, that I hadn't actually thought about. But yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. And I remember the other, I, w- I was going to mention the subtitles moment too, because I think that's a, a really brilliant thing that they do to kind of draw us into uh, and just kind of like the way these two characters communicate may be very different than most viewers communicate. And so just a little bit of like... Um, here's here's the subtext here like there's more i i I think if they had done that the whole time it could have like been a problem right but but doing it just once to uh to kind of like get you on the movie's wavelength a little bit or something i thought it was a really nice touch i agree and it just like it just made my little queer heart like (laughs) flutter a little bit i was like oh my god are they going to be a little gay? <laughs> it was like nice. Um, but yeah, the, I thought it was just wonderful. Like the, the, the whole opening of that film is just, it's just great. Like it's perfectly rhythmic and it's like, it, it hits all the notes that you want it to hit. It hits the comedy. It hits the little like mm-hmm. sweet, almost like romantic vibes. Um, and then I even, I love when she's like, I gotta go fuck my man calm. And then yeah, which is from the and, tweets. Too. Like I yeah. liked that little moment that they had. Um and I just thought all that I thought all the performances and everything about all the editing and just everything about this film was so natural. Mm. Like it was really it like sort of bloomed organically and it wasn't like um and nothing was forced, I felt. Um, and I and I just I'm really proud. I'm really proud to say that I've been trying. I've been excited about this movie for <laughs> so long. Like since I found out that the 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 rights were optioned uh, for this mm-hmm. for this uh, particular Twitter thread, I've been like waiting for this movie just like on the edge of my seat waiting to see it. And I'm I'm really glad that that we got this surrealist like almost queer like just wacky thing yeah, like weird it's little movie. it is yeah. so wacky and like <laughs> eclectic and just like it's a lot of stuff thrown together that works really well and it's purposefully like it's per- it's calculatedly so mm-hmm. um and i'm just 
it's a it's a perfect like it's a perfect team for this movie so why wouldn't it be a really great movie yeah. really turned out good highly recommended from both of us as you can tell um, <laughs> so that is playing in theaters now and i wasn't sure how wide of a release it's it was going to get but i think it's playing in like multiple places here in central arkansas so it must be all over the place so go see zola that is uh the new a24 film thank you so much sophie for coming on the show today of course well, all right. We'll have you back again sometime. I'll, I'll be in touch for that. But uh, until then, we will say bye-bye for now. Okay, bye-bye. Big, big thanks to Sophie for coming on the podcast to talk about Zola today. I was planning to review that one solo, and it's always better when there's a second voice. So I'm so glad she was able to come on the show and, and give her many thoughts about the film. Next up, we are moving back to our Technicolor Marathon. This is the final of our three films before we did The Adventures of Robin Hood and then Leave Her to Heaven, rounding out with the Powell and Pressburger classic, The Red Shoes. This is a ballet movie uh, made in Technicolor, of course, and widely considered their masterpiece and probably one of the best ballet movies ever made. Rance Collins is back to finish out the marathon. I'm so glad we've taken the time to look at all these Technicolor films and, and appreciate the place that Technicolor has in cinema history. Rance is the perfect person, of course, to, to break this all down because he is host of his own podcast, The Envelope Please, which is all about classic cinema and Oscars history. And if you've never heard an episode with him before, he has worked for Turner Classic Movies. Uh, he just knows everything about classic films. So always glad to have Rance back. And he's been so gracious to do several episodes in a row here. So thank you. Thank you to Rance. Without further ado, here is my discussion with Rance Collins about The Red Shoes. <laughs> the original musical that captures all the glamour of the south of France in exquisite Technicolor. Blending compelling beauty and high drama with a love story of sheer enchantment. Assembling a cast of international stars to endow an enthralling film with their rich vitality. And making the outstanding debut of this or any other year, a lovely red-headed girl graced with all the talents, Moira Shearer. Rance Columns, welcome back once again. How's it going? It is going so good. How are you? I'm doing very, very well. Yes. Excited to finish out our Technicolor Marathon looking at the red shoes today. Uh, it's been enlightening to to visit some films I, I might not have otherwise, you know, which is the best thing about doing a mm -hmm. podcast, I think. So, yes. Yeah, thanks for Me too, honestly, because I hadn't seen this one before, before this, this week. This is your first time, this, right? This yeah. It's my first time, so you helped me discover something well, I had heard about for a long time, but I had not had a chance to see. Yeah, this has been one that I've been wanting to watch, and uh, I knew it was in Technicolor, and, and so all three of these were new to me that we did with with Robin Hood and then um, Leave Her to Heaven. But mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so, so this one was new to both of us. So let's talk about the Red Shoes. Uh, kind of broad strokes plot. It's it came out in 1948, uh, directed by Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, who they were a pretty big. Uh, directing duo that again like I'd heard of Powell and Pressburger but this is actually my first film of theirs to see as well so 
a uh, good introduction for that as well. Uh, so the story is, it's about a ballet company. Uh, so there's a lot of behind the scenes show business kind of stuff, but kind of in the world of ballet, which is not something I, I'm used to seeing. So it was, it was kind of enlightening in that way. Um, the company is run by Mr. Lermontov, who's kind of a, an eccentric, stern, artistic type of guy. And, uh, at the start of the movie, a new dancer joins the company. That's Vicky, Victoria Page. And she quickly rises to be kind of the star dancer of the company. And then there's also a new composer. His name is Julian Craster. Uh, and they kind of enter in, in interesting ways. There's like a, a whole interesting introduction to both of them. Uh, then they eventually work on a new ballet, which is called The Red Shoes, which is based on a Hans Christian Andersen story. And then about two-thirds through the film, we see a performance of it, and that there's like this really extended ballet sequence. There's a few other ballet sequences as well in the film. Uh, so that's it kind of works towards that. And then um, where things go kind of near the end is that there's also a love story between Victoria and Julian, and then she's kind of torn between dancing and being in love. So so that's kind of the, the overall setup of it, and um, it's really an interesting movie in a lot of different ways. So So... As as a first time viewer of this rant, what's your reaction to it? Did you like it? You know, I did. I did really like it. I didn't know. I kind of had an idea of what I might expect with this movie mm-hmm. um, from having seen scenes and clips from it before, but I I think it exceeded my expectations. Actually, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it was. Uh, I, I don't know. You hear. Um, you hear that it's like a dance movie. And so you have a certain perception of, of mm. what you're going to get into. But I feel like uh, it, it went a little beyond. Um, or, or like that's a it, it was it's an art movie. Yeah. And so you mean like more than maybe dancing like there's a lot of non dancing scenes. Is that what you mean? Uh, well, yeah, there's a lot of non dancing scenes, but the dancing scenes in general are nothing like um it's it's just such it's it's of its own genre almost yeah, yeah i think that's what you mean yeah. so maybe you're getting at so, so like the the big ballet sequence it's staged in a way that it could never actually be staged on in person if you're watching oh. a ballet it like brings yeah. in the cinematic language to it in a way that's really creative and uh, was one of my favorite things and probably that ballet sequence is my favorite part of this whole thing um yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's really an, an amazing sequence like there's you know characters disappearing and like things like that, that that could only happen in a movie. I I think as far as ballet movies, it's one of, there's not that many. And, uh, this is, I think kind of considered the best ballet movie ever. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I learned a lot about how, how ballet worked and how ballet companies worked at, at that time. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it was, um, I mean like, uh, beyond like how ballet companies and um whatnot worked i i think that the movie feels like um it feels like a a culmination of different types of um expressionistic art Mm. if that makes sense i think it pulls in some of the german expressionism movement that was really big in the silent era um it pulls in uh, some of the like Salvador Dali type of mm. Almost um, like surrealism. 
surrealist surrealism yeah. yeah um which is present a little bit in a movie that came out a couple of years before this called spellbound the hitchcock movie spellbound mm-hmm. where salvador dolly did a dream sequence in the film that was heavily edited and is much shorter in the final print um but this movie like commits to making its story basically um a metaphor for the ballet within the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and it does so in a way that does not shy away from being surrealistic, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's an interesting part of it. So, so like the, the meta narrative maybe of, uh, so the story of the red shoes is that once you have the shoes on, you can't take them off and you uh, can't stop dancing. Like that's the, the fairy tale of it. And, and that mirrors what happens in real life to Victoria in some interesting ways. Um, yeah, I think that's a, it's a really nice touch to, to build it in that way. It It is, it is. It's a, it's a really, um, I, I mean, like all those people are right. It's a great movie and it, it has been, uh, given plenty of accolades over mm-hmm. the years. I mean, it is, uh, uh, one of the top 100 British films of all time, according to uh, the British Film Institute, I believe is the one who put together that list. Um, and uh, I think one of the reasons why it kind of rises above is there isn't anyone in the film who is particularly famous, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it is a cast largely made of real ballet performers, and um, as such, it ends up kind of, what's the word I'm looking for here? It ends up kind of being uh, uh, better because you're not hmm. rooting for Cary Grant or right, Deborah Carr. You, or, mm-hmm. you know, it, um, it ends up being in star power. There, yeah, star power isn't isn't a factor in this movie, mm-hmm. and that does, I think, make it something better, something different. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's um, interesting. Yeah, because I mean, it, it'd be very easy to, um, I mean, like you could have casted some actress in that role who um, would have been more recognizable yeah. to international audiences. And you probably would have had to, um, you probably would have had to uh, dance, uh, cut around her dancing because right. she probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have been up to the, up the snuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would have, uh, you know, then you would have had like so and so in this, and that's what most studios would have done at that time. But mm-hmm. I think because it was this very respected uh, directing writing team. Uh, known together as the Archers, uh, mm-hmm. Pal and Pressburger, um, you know, and it was produced in England. They could get away without having huge names in the cast. And as such, you end up making something that feels like it's totally of its own mm-hmm. and it's completely unencumbered by uh, anybody who might outshine the art with their own fame. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was unfamiliar with anyone in this movie. I think I'd heard the name Morris Shearer 
who who's the lead is Victoria, um, but she was like a famous ballet dancer at the time. And and I, I watched a couple of uh, special features on the Criterion. I got the Criterion DVD from the library, and uh, oh fun. There, there was like the her her ballet directors didn't want to let her do it at first, and there was kind of some hesitance there. Like if she goes and does this film thing, is she going to leave ballet behind? And then ultimately they said, you know what, this will probably be good for ballet overall. Like it'll increase the love of ballet. So let's let her do it. And then of course it was huge and, you know, Oscar nominated and all that. So probably a good decision on their part. I would say it was a very good decision. (laughs) Yes. Uh, And certainly like if uh, for her, if, um, you know, a ballet star is only, uh, famous for a finite period of time right. mm-hmm. if live performance is all they're doing because you know there's nothing um there's not much recorded of that yeah. but i think that you know being in this um i i mean definitely submitted her as a legend mm. um yeah uh <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about uh powell and pressburger so this is not their first film actually it was like what their 10th or something i think um what's their what are they known for otherwise um they had a pretty incredible run in the 1940s um and uh i have been pretty familiar with their work um over uh the last few years i have tried to seek out um any of their films that i could uh find to watch particularly if it's playing in a movie theater here around LA because uh, they just have a uniquely great run of collaborations. Mm -hmm. Um, And they, um, so they, they started working together in the early forties after Powell. I believe it's Powell. Is it Powell or Pressburger? uh, Now I'm getting them. (laughs) Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger. Uh, oh, I know their names. Oh, okay. One of them worked with Alexander Korda oh, I see. for for many years. And I want to make sure that I get the right person. Um, I, I'm like that was going Powell. to stall. Yes, that was Powell. Yes, it's Powell. It's Wikipedia. Powell. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and uh, uh, he... Um, the two of them worked together. They did some, they did some, uh, projects that were very, very successful, including, uh, the thief of Baghdad, which was, uh, another big technicolor movie that really incorporated a lot of very innovative special effects. It got attention here in the United States and won an Oscar for its special effects. Um, and then, uh, he paired with Powell. Um, he made a movie called uh, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, mm. which is a great epic film um, that introduced the world to Deborah Carr, um, was her first big movie. Um, and I saw a screening here at the Academy Theater here in L.A. of that movie. And it was just uh, it's like two and a half hours or so. But it was just such an engaging, wonderful, funny, dramatic film. And then they made this incredible movie called A Matter of Life and Death. But all of these are not all of the movies they did together, but they are known for their use of Technicolor. And they made Mm -hmm. several great Technicolor films. Um, Life and Death of Colonel Blimp um, is in Technicolor. And then A Matter of Life and Death, which I believe was released as Stairway to Heaven in the United States. It... um, 
it uses Technicolor in a really interesting way. David Niven is the star of that movie. And then uh, Kim Hunter, who is uh, best known for uh, Streetcar Named Desire. Hmm, yeah. um, the two of them star in that. And Heaven in the film is presented in black and white. Hmm, and reality is in color. And, and reality is where the lead character wants to be. But he was supposed to be taken away and like, um, you know, the Grim Reaper type of character missed him. <laughs> and so now he's bartering with death to stay on Earth. And anytime he's in heaven, it's in black and white because it's not it's where he doesn't want to be. How you interesting. Know? Yeah. Yeah. There's also a really small role in that movie by uh, from a very young Richard Attenborough. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Who becomes, uh, you know, of course, the guy who welcomes you to Jurassic Park. <laughs> yes. And then uh, directed Gandhi. Um, but, uh, uh, after that they made, um, their final two, um, collaborations that were released, um, through, uh, the studio, I, I forget the name of the production company. Um, you know, I, I don't know my British companies as well as I do my American studios. I'm very, very, very <laughs> sorry <laughs> to your English li listeners, um, but uh, the um, the the culmination of their projects together were this movie, which came out second, and the first movie to come out before this of these two movies. I'm saying this in a weird way. It's fine. <laughs> um, I'm tracking. Was Black Narcissus. Black Narcissus. Mm. And both of them have a surrealist quality about them. Uh, both of them deal with psychological um, drama hmm. and uh, conflict. Um, and and they both have just the most incredible use of color. Um, and so leading into the Red Shoes, this team, Michael Powell and Emmerich Pressburger, had become just the preeminent filmmakers in uh, in the UK. And ultimately, this movie would end up being incredibly successful, perhaps even more successful here in the States than it was in England. Mm -hmm. um, it became the highest grossing British film up to that point. And it also got five Academy Award nominations, including one for Best Picture, at a time when foreign films, um, even British films, typically didn't do uh, a lot mm. over here, you know. Oh, yeah. um, it was very Hollywood-centric at that point in time. So, um, And if it wasn't a Hollywood A picture, then it at least needed to have, you know, like a Laurence Olivier in it. And in this case, it was just... Um, it was just sheerly the quality of the film that uh, that moved it along. And I, I think that a lot of it also had to do with the fact that I, I don't think anything like this had been made up to that point. Yeah. Yeah. What, from what I was you know seeing on the Criterion stuff and reading, it was like, I think it's kind of the first ballet movie. Like, really, there's not much before this that had anything to do with ballet. And again, there's not just a ton of ballet movies still, but the only other one that I could think of that I'd scene was um the black swan from a few years ago the the darren aronofsky film which you can see a lot of influence of the red shoes on that film 
um, like a big time, actually. It's like a much more psychologically thrilling kind of horror version of, of this story almost, where someone's kind of caught between dancing and, and maybe is losing their mind a little bit kind of thing. So yeah, I thought that was a fun connection to it, but you can definitely see how this was influential to things going forward. Um, for sure. I think that, uh, I think you can see the thread and the thread doesn't necessarily have to be going into other ballet movies, obviously, Mm -hmm. but I think, um, I think the use of photography, the use of color in this movie, I, I, I wonder if there's even a movie after this that uses color as well as this movie does, mm. because um, talking about the technicolor aspects of it, you know, particularly in the dream sequence, but even just its location photography in Monte Carlo mm-hmm. um, yeah. and uh, the 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 way that it puts in the reds and the greens and the you know all of the color palette represented in a way that seems to be expressing something about the turmoil that's going on inside of um, Vicky's head. Yeah, you know is is it's just so original and it it feels like there were certain shots, particularly in the ballet sequence, that I was thinking I was in awe as I was watching it. Um, and I was just thinking, there's nothing like this that exists. Yeah. You know, this mm-hmm. is completely of its own. It's so original. And it's, yeah. yeah. And I don't think of myself as a person who's going to enjoy ballet movies. Right. And yeah. yet, <laughs> same. And yet, somehow, this doesn't even feel like it's totally about ballet. It's just about, um, it, it felt like a fable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the Hans it, Christian Andersen ness of it, it really kind of carries over into the off the stage stuff too in the in the film yeah i was thinking that the you know the acting had an unreal quality about it too Mm. um you know um less so the lead um uh what's your name again Uh, moira shearer as moira shearer yeah yes um you know she was probably the most naturalistic out of the cast but there Mm. was a lot of high drama i thought thought from everyone surrounding her, yeah. you know? Um, and I think, you know, having seen other movies that this pair has done and seen that, you know, most of them have pretty, you know, you know, for the, at least the time naturalistic acting, um, I had to think that that was on purpose. You know, yeah, there's a reason why, particularly, I don't know if you noticed this, but it seems as if the drama uh, is very slowly amped up as the movie goes on. Yes. Absolutely. Like the acting. Yeah, it was, it's almost like uh, there's no, I mean, just as far as the plot goes, it, it takes a long time to get to where there's like any real like big drama happening. Like we, we get really introduced to these people, get a sense of who they are. And then like the love story actually happens and it's kind of a surprise. It's like suddenly, oh, they've been in love for a while. And uh, then like really after that ballet sequence, the last 30 minutes is like very high drama. And, and yeah, I think you're right. Their performance is kind of ratchet up too. But before that, it's, it's pretty um, low key is not the right word, but it's, it's, uh, it's definitely more calm as, as things go on. And then it, it gets really, really wild at the end. I mean, it's just, uh, you almost don't see it coming the way mm-hmm. it, it ratchets is ratchet ratchets <laughs> the way. <laughs> It, it amps up quickly. I don't know. <laughs> the way uh, 
you know, uh, Nurse Ratched it Nurse up. Nurse Ratched um, up, yes. Nurse Ratched shows um, up. That's an, an unexpected twist. It didn't see that twist coming. You know, suddenly <laughs> Louise Fletcher's there, and I'm like, why? Um, I thought she wouldn't have been born yet. And anyway, uh, anyway, go on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Jack Nicholson's there. You're like, I didn't <laughs> What's think going this on? was happening. <laughs> um, but no, I... Uh, um, yeah, I, I, I think, I think it feels like, um, it feels like there's a rising line of tension. But after the ballet sequence, um, it's like the movie knows at that point in time it has the permission to be a little bit more erratic. Mm. Um, and so then the reality becomes more surreal. Yeah. As well as the um the story itself. Yeah. And it kind of yeah. leads up to an ending that really kind of leads into the, the, the surrealness of it. And the ending which I don't I guess we can not spoil the, the very end, but it's it's pretty remarkable, like stylistically and everything. The the shoes play into it in a big way and that there's like a really interesting visual uh involving the shoes at the the very end of the film. Um but yeah. Um, um yes there is and uh, it's it's stunning yeah. um it was, and, i mean like and the and the metaphor comes full circle mm-hmm. too so yes absolutely and, and it's something like so as it kind of continued on i was kind of seeing where it was going as far as like she's being torn between these two worlds uh, so I so almost, you know, knew what was going to happen at the end or had an idea, but the, the way it's executed, it was so stunning still, like even knowing, like, I think this is going to happen, but the way it's executed, it's, is really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Just, this is actually a really good movie guys. You, you should maybe go, uh, you should maybe go see it. I know that this is a really original, um, original thought. statement. No one's ever good. talked about this movie ever before. <laughs> well what what about the other actors here so anton walbrook plays um mr lermontov uh what what else is he known for uh i you know something i don't know <laughs> i'll pull up imdb here he was in life and death of colonel blimp as well he's in gaslight oh yes yes I've, I've, i'm oh gaslight. Familiar with Vas- I, gaslight that's what he's known is it for the 1940 life. gaslight correct yes Ah, uh, that you see, Gaslight's an interesting one because it was, uh, it was first made, um, in uh, uh, in the in the UK, and then they made an American version after. It wasn't uh, uh, the the American version is a Hitchcock thing? Well, I guess it wouldn't be the no version then. Sorry. It is, um, <laughs> it is George Cukor, um, okay. but it stars uh. uh um, Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer mm, and right. it is uh, it's a wonderful little movie but it is um, it is uh, not uh, the same thing as uh, what that guy stars in gotcha. but it is where the term gaslighting comes from <laughs> yeah which is you know still very relevant obviously um, the other lead here is Marius Goring as Julian Craster he's also known for Stairway to Heaven which again was a uh, well, I guess that's a matter of life and death. The alternate title there—it's listed here: "Stairway to Heaven" on IMDb. 
the Barefoot Contessa, the Scarlet Pimpernel, so some several credits, 103 credits actually on IMDb. So quite a career. So just 103. Oh, goodness. <laughs> but, uh, this, is, this is his biggest by far, I think. Um, yeah, and he's uh, solid in this. I think he's a good actor. I mean, the whole the whole cast is is pretty good in this. It's uh, uh, and I wasn't trying to disparage them by talking about the dramatics of the cast. Right, I think right. it's on purpose. So mm-hmm. that's why it um, it's just a really interesting choice. Yeah. Um, the introduction to Julian is really interesting. So it opens with their basically the ballet that's the, this company's ballet before the red shoes, or maybe two before. I can't remember, but um he is a student and his professor is the composer for the ballet. So he comes to see it and realizes as the show goes on, like his professor has completely plagiarized his work and he's listening mm-hmm. to this ballet. And he's like, this is my music. And um, he gets very upset about this, goes to see Mr. Lermontov about it. And that the conversation they have is really fascinating. He's Mr. Lermontov like says that he believes him, that this is his work. And he says something about, um, it's it's much harder to feel the need to steal than to be stolen from and so kind of empathizes with this guy who's stolen the work but then is mm-hmm. then hires julian to replace him essentially and uh i thought it was a really interesting kind of way to bring him into the story um yeah yeah it was i, I agree um well i mean like that whole in, that whole introductory section in the um when they're there watching the performance is mm-hmm. it's such an interesting way to uh to introduce the characters i thought and then the uh there's like an after party and that's where we meet where we see victoria at the show but then we kind of get to know her at this after party her uh aunt is the is, is throwing this party and has invited all the and everyone that's involved in the show really wants her to dance for um mr lamontov to kind of like audition and he you know he's like this is a party this is not an audition he gets very mad about it they have an interesting conversation too um and the one part that i really like let's see um he says why do you want to dance and she says why do you want to live I said, well, I don't know mm-hmm. exactly why, but I must. And so that's my answer, too. I thought that was a cool. So, yeah, I think maybe that's what you were getting at earlier is like it kind of applies to other like kind of the artistic drive in general, like not just maybe dancing or ballet, uh, but it, it kind of uh, gets at that in, in kind of a cool way. And that's can kind of be what the red shoes are standing in for in a way, depending on how you read it. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, well, I mean, I think that the movie is trying to say that, you know, art is life in a mm-hmm. way mm-hmm. you know which um yeah yeah go ahead i was gonna say that that's a valuable thing even for 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 me personally because i think uh art was sometimes devalued i mean our society devalues it all the time and like art art programs get cut funded cut and, and all that kind of thing and um but yeah like i i didn't see being an artist as like a uh like a legitimate career in some way and and i'm still still am wrestling with that like oh no art's a really important part of the human experience and kind of the drive to be creative is like it's a really important thing so anyway I, that it kind of spoke to me in that way too about um, kind of the the drive to creativity although you know it, it's messy in this movie because she gets really um you know caught in between <laughs> her creative drive and and uh it's almost like work-life balance is one way you can look at it or something uh but it, i don't know it's an interesting 
it's kind of i guess i think there's a lot of different ways you can look at it and kind of mm-hmm. reflect on it uh but it, just like anything you can bring your own experience to it and, and have kind of a personal experience with it but anyway um yeah no that's uh that's it exactly um it's about it's about that's this is the reason why it is i think a work of art is because you could pull from this um is it about that work-life balance is it about the way that men treat women Mm, is it about um is it about sacrificing life for art um it, it ultimately i don't think is about any of those one things yeah uh i think it i think um the thing about great art is you're able to draw from it uh whatever you're feeling in that moment in a way Mm -hmm. speaking Mm -hmm. about the treatment of women that just made me think too of a comparison i couldn't help but think about like marilyn monroe and like stories like that where um Mm -hmm. a person has promised stardom and then things uh there's maybe nefarious um intentions there or you know, it's it's not what you if you get what you wished for, it's not what you always you know it can um, end up being a bad thing kind of thing because she's kind of groomed for for being a star like oh you're going to be the lead for this company for you know years and and you'll be famous overnight and like all this stuff and um, it doesn't go great for her in the end. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And and the the shoes themselves become the very obvious uh, stand-in for that temptation mm. you know yeah but i it, it's just interesting like what is that saying you know yeah and that's where is it saying that great art can't come without the sacrifice of of some of yourself yeah you know um uh interestingly post um red shoes you know michael powell and emrick pressburger uh, it wasn't their last collaboration. I don't remember which movie that is. There's, they make a couple other things for independent studios, for different studios, I should say, in the 50s. But um, uh, Michael Powell does go on to make a, a really great movie called Peeping Tom hmm. in 1960, which is kind of like um, uh, another one of those early uh, horror movies that kind of really influences that genre. Hmm. Um, and she's actually in that, um, oh, really? uh, the, yeah. Um, Vicky, the woman, Moira, Sheer. Yeah. <laughs> for some reason I keep, I, I think that the existence of Shit's Creek is, is ruining her name. <laughs> the word Moira. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's funny. but, uh, uh, she's also in that as well. Um, she doesn't make very many movies and most of them are dance films, but she is in that movie. Um, and then, uh, then he, Michael Powell, later ends up um, marrying uh, Thelma Schumacher, Schumacher, hmm. Schumacher, Schu- <laughs> Thelma, <laughs> yes, Thelma. <laughs> um, who is, of course, uh, Martin Scorsese's editor, uh, uh, yeah, along with familiar, yeah, yeah. That's she's he's not the only person she's edited for, but she always works with Martin Scorsese and um, they had uh, a relationship at the end of his life. And she has since um, become quite an advocate for uh, the restoration and appreciation of the Powell and Pressburger films. Mm. And um, of course, Martin Scorsese, her uh, 
often collaborator, um, considers the red shoes to be one of, if not the best, I think he names this in a movie called the river, the two greatest technicolor films Hmm. and black narcissist is one of his favorite, uh, horror movies. Um, so he is a big fan of their work and he uses, uh, uh, somebody who is very closely connected to Michael Powell as one of his frequent collaborators to this day. How cool that is. He's on the, um, so Martin Scorsese does some restoration work. I'm not sure exactly in what capacity with Criterion actually he's like, and he helps curate some stuff for them too. But he, on, on the red shoes DVD, there's a, a little special about the restoration process and he kind of narrates it and talks through what's going on. And it's with Technicolor prints, it's, you know, kind of even more complicated to, to restore because you have to restore three different mm-hmm. um, reels of it. And it shows kind of the different issues they run into and how they correct those. It's pretty interesting little, little featurette. And I've seen stuff like that before, but not about a Technicolor movie. So it's kind of an interesting little thing. I wonder if that's on YouTube or something. I'll see if I can find it and link it, but it's on the Criterion uh, edition of the Red Shoes. Um, yeah, uh, uh, the, um, the restoration process of those movies can be super, super complicated, um, because with the three strips, the, the key is aligning them together. Mm. And if the original negatives don't exist, then you can't realign the prints. Mm. Um, and so things when they are not, when the three different strips are not perfectly in sync with one another, the image will look slightly blurred because things are not in sync. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get a properly restored Technicolor print where everything is in alignment and none of the strips have warped over time or that has been corrected, oftentimes it has to be corrected digitally, mm-hmm. um, you end up with a picture uh, as with this restoration that is gorgeous on HBO max of the red shoes, you end up with a picture that is about better than anything else you're ever going to see anywhere. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's where I watched it as well was actually, I, I got the DVD, but I was like, actually HBO max is a little nicer quality on my TV. So I watched that version of it and it looks great. So that's, that's available to stream on HBO. I think it's also on criterion channel. Uh, if you subscribe to that one, but yeah. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, Criterion is, I, is one of the reasons why this movie has been so in the public consciousness, because they um, they included in their collection. And it really does make a difference when cri- Criterion highlights films, I think. It, it brings it into um, the conversation in yeah. a way because it's so respected amongst f- film aficionados. Speaking of which, if you're listening to this, you know, pretty soon after we put it out, it right now is July, which is the half off all criterions at Barnes and Noble. I've already spent some money there, more than I meant to spend at the Barnes and Noble grabbing some things. So, yes, if you're into that, now is the time to go stock up. Um, you might have heard a cat meowing. I'm very sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> um, it's a, a occupational hazard. Um. <laughs> of being a cat daddy. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, go buy some, go support Criterion. They do, they do the work for people who like things like we do. <laughs> yes, very much so. Like seriously, if you're into movies and you like, like I, for a while, I just would like 
you know, buy whatever cheap DVD copies of things back in college. But then I was like, I think I want to curate this and like have a little bit. I don't have a huge collection or anything, but um, I have several Criterion editions just because they do such such wonderful uh, work on. I'm really they really respect the art and and uh, I don't know it, they're great. I really like it. Um, well, is there anything else we need to say about the red shoes today? I mean, I think we covered it. I think everything else people just have to discover by yeah. by watching. If you haven't watched it, go watch it. Um, you will not regret it. Uh, and that kind of wraps up our Technicolor Marathon. I'm so glad that we kind of dove into this because it is such an interesting and important part of cinema history. And uh, I think it's been a good a, a good way to focus in on you know one one aspect of of movies back in the day and looking at classic classic cinema so thank you rance for helping select these and helping talk through them uh, i think it's been a really good a good little marathon i loved it i uh, invite me back anytime yes yes of course i will definitely do that uh we'll we'll find another angle to look at some classics uh some months down the road here uh and, and go from there but all right well i guess we can say bye-bye for now rance thank you so much and and we'll talk to you again soon talk to you soon Huge thanks to Rance for this marathon and for today's discussion. I uh, couldn't do this without him, and I love picking his brain about classic films like this. So big, big thanks, Rance. Coming up on the podcast, we've got a new marathon coming, and that is going to be looking at the world of Wong Kar Wai. So Criterion, the prestigious film distribution company that puts out uh, really beautiful editions of a lot of classic films and modern films have a handful of box sets as well and recently released a seven film box set of Wong Kar Wai's films. If you're unfamiliar with him, he's directed some absolute incredible films like Chungking Express, In the Mood for Love, and many others. We are going to dive into all seven films over the next six episodes, so we'll double up in one episode. And Omaya Jones is going to be back. He was on the podcast a lot last year when we looked at contemporary Asian filmmakers, so I'm so glad to have him back again and break down this box set. Uh, We'll talk about a lot of the supplements, I'm sure, so if you have the Criterion box set, this will be a great thing to kind of watch along, hopefully, and and listen to some outside perspectives and, and bring some context in. Uh, really excited to watch these because I've only seen one Wong Kar Wai film before, so this is going to be a journey for me, and I'm, I'm uh, excited to, to dig into them all, so tune in for that next time. Uh, we'll also have a review of something new, not exactly sure what that will be just yet, but excited to start out this new marathon. And with that, thank you, thank you for listening to Art House Garage. We've got a few years worth of episodes now, and you can listen to all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. You can learn more at appallingproductions.com or find a link in the show notes. If you want to support Art House Garage, you can leave a rating or review in your podcast app, or you can buy an Art House Garage t-shirt at arthousegaragecom shop. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter by going to arthousegaragecom slash subscribe. Or you can email me directly, Andrew, at arthousegaragecom And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free.